Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you with advice, guidance, and information that empowers you so you can make better financial decisions in your life. Now, recently I talked about making sure you're getting the best deal on the interest rate on your savings accounts or money market funds. But what if you're in the opposite situation? You don't have savings. You actually owe money on credit cards. The higher interest rates are making so many people feel hopeless. The default rate on credit cards, delinquency rate, is up. So I'm going to tell you how I would attack that. Also, one item many people go into debt for is buying a car. And if you've been waiting, this is going to be the best year to buy a new car in the last five years because it's been a rough go, but the situation's improving significantly. So let's talk about what's not improving and going the wrong way, and that is the amount of credit card debt people are carrying. Credit card debt is up 50% in the last three years, overall credit card debt, 50%. I mean, it's a shocking increase in overall credit card debt. And a lot of people are really hurting because of it. The reality is, this is something that there's that expression that's overused. How do you deal with a big problem? Like, you know, elephant, you take one little bite at a time. That's kind of the idea if your credit card debt feels like it's the size of an elephant, is you do take it one bite at a time. And I want to talk about the strategies. There are many good strategies, but I'm going to tell you what I recommend. First things first, number one problem people have with credit cards is they won't look at the statement. And why won't they look at the statement? Because it's painful to look at the statement. But if you're going to get well with credit card debt, you attack it. And my method is really ultra simple. There are others that work as well. But what I say, the first thing you do is pen and paper. Really simple, because I want you to write down what you owe on each credit card you have. I want you to write down the amount. And next to that amount, I want you to put what is the interest rate you're being charged on that card. The third thing I want you to do 
is there's a box on your credit card statement. If you get electronic ones, you'll have to pull up the electronic and find all this stuff I'm talking about. If you got paper statements, it's right there. There's a box that shows if you just pay the minimum payment on that card, how long you'll be in debt on that card. It may be 37 years, 44 years, 22 years, 27 years, something like that. Write it down because I want true serum, not to overwhelm you or depress you, but I want it to empower you. So again, you have every card, you have what you owe on that card, the interest rate you're being charged, and the average interest rate now is over 20% on credit cards. Nobody ever got rich paying Visa or MasterCard 20%, let me tell you. And then the third column, if you just keep doing what you're doing and paying the minimum payment, how many decades are you going to owe them? And by the way, when you write that down, also look at the box underneath. It shows what you have to pay per month to wipe out the debt in three years. And you'll be surprised that the payment you have to make versus, let's say, a card you owe for another 40 years, what you have to pay to pay it off in three, it's not crazy how much more it is to get something paid off in 36 months. But the whole idea is to really focus you on your credit card debt. So you write it all down, add up your total, and then what I want you to do with all your cards, pay the minimum as maybe you're doing right now. But pay every dollar you can past that to the one carrying the highest interest rate. The idea is every dollar you're paying in is having the greatest impact because you're attacking the card with the highest interest rate. Like Let's say you have a store card from somebody. You owe money. That interest rate's probably 35 36% on that store card. If your other cards are at the national average of 20%, you can see you're having much more impact with every extra dollar you're paying towards that highest card that might be at 36%. Now, there's one other thing that goes without saying. You can't use your cards. <laughs> if you owe money to everybody, you can't use the cards. And this is a case where using the piece of trash, fake Visa or fake MasterCard, would actually be a good thing to do. And that's using a debit card so you're not running up any more charges on any of your cards. And you'll find as you aggressively work to pay down the balance on the highest interest rate card and eventually get it paid off, what have you done? You took those little bites at a time from the elephant and the elephant's lost weight. And then you go on to the next card with the next highest interest rate. And you do the same thing, minimums on the others, as much as you can towards the next highest rate card. And does this happen in a day? It does not happen in a day. Does it take potentially a few years? Yeah. Now, if you're in way over your head, and what I'm saying is like past too late, I want you to go meet with a counselor, either with a video meeting or in person, with an affiliate of the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, nfcc.org. Avoid like the plague any of these supposed hero debt settlement companies. They are rip-off artists that only put you deeper in debt. 
I know your situation may feel like it's never going to get better. It's all about attitude and direction and taking it on, knowing the solution is not instant. The solution takes time, but you can do it. And Krista, you were talking to me, somebody wrote in about that Mm -hmm. just recently. Sarah in New York, she says, last year I racked up over $20,000 in credit card debt, much to my husband's dismay. He's a power budgeter and has listened to you for quite some time. I was always resistant to podcasts with budgeting, but he started to play your podcast in the car while we were together. I learned a lot. I just want to thank you for not making me feel guilty about my debt because I was already feeling very guilty. I know there are many people like me who have credit card debt. You were inspiring and helped me to realize the importance of not having debt on credit cards. I'm so happy to report that through much hard work and planning and budgeting, the credit cards are paid off as of today. It feels so dang good. We have a plan for no more credit card debt, and I plan to follow it to a T. Thanks for your encouragement and knowledge in all of your podcasts. You rock. Actually, you You rock, rock, Sarah. (laughs) You're the one, Sarah. You're the one who had a problem that felt insurmountable. You took the tools available and the idea marketplace, put them to work, paid those credit cards off, and now you've graduated from that credit card debt. This is fantastic. And may I say, you just inspired other people who feel overwhelmed and hopeless that you can, one step at a time, get it done. I'm so excited for you. Michael in Florida says, I have the opportunity through my company to invest in an individual secured retirement plan that uses a life insurance policy as the vehicle to invest in. The company will match up to 10%, no surrender fees. Many index funds are available to invest in. Is this a good idea to do this? I have already maxed out my 401ks, IRAs, et cetera. So it's shocking that this plan is available, no surrender charge. That's very unusual. These insurance plans that are pseudo retirement or investment vehicles, the thing you've got to look at first, you've got this incredible employer match. If they're going to match dollar for dollar up to 10%, that is really phenomenal. So even if the plan is a junkie insurance company plan, with that match being so good, it may be potentially a good choice. What I want you to look at that is the non-free lunch with one of these is what are the fees, underlying fees? You said index funds, but there are underlying fees with these insurance products. And the underlying fees may be very, very high. It would not be unusual for the fees to exceed 2%. And if you think about what you pay in an index fund, you pay as little as zero or more typically three one hundredths of one percent, five one hundredths, seven one hundredths. So because these are insurance company vehicles you're talking about, I'm always nervous. There are two things you said, though, that may make this okay. One, okay, not perfect, is the employer match. The second is if there truly are no surrender charges. So to find that information on the funds and what they're costing, do you just look at the funds and look at their perspectives? It's not the funds. It's in the it's in the plan contract. The plan insurance contract, contract may be a, as many as 175 pages. 
And you'll have to find in there what the fees are. Insurance companies are really adept at hiding those fees. And so you've got to know what is the bad part of this, because unless this is set up specifically to benefit the core executives of a company, odds are there are a lot of insurance company junk fees involved with the plan. Matt in California says, I just finished listening to the episode where you discussed target date retirement funds. I'm now confused and scratching my head. I gave my daughter, who is 19 and in the Air Force, some advice last year to open a targeted date retirement fund. She opened an account with Schwab called Schwab Target 2060 Index Fund. Now I'm worried that I gave her bad advice and she opened it as an investment account instead of a retirement account. If this was the wrong type of account, what would you suggest? And could she move the funds from that account into the proper account? Help me, Clark Kenobi. You're my only hope. (laughs) Okay. So I got a lot to say to you. First, thank you to your daughter for serving in the U.S. military. There are so few people coming up now who see serving in the military as something they want to do. And we're having a lot of trouble filling the ranks in each of the branches of the U.S. military. And we're at a time that the world has become more dangerous. So I really am grateful to her for patriotism serving our country. Second thing, if she did open the Schwab 2060 in an investment account with Schwab, She can, because she's earning income in the Air Force, she can open a Roth IRA at Schwab, sell her position in this index fund, pay a little tax on that, and move it inside the Roth account. The Roth account will be tax-free, not just today, not just tomorrow, but it will grow tax-free, and she will spend from it tax-free. She's allowed to put up to seven grand in a year in a Roth IRA. Now, the big advantage, Matt, that your daughter has is she can do the thrift savings plan, the TSP, with the Air Force. TSP is just about, even with some of the changes I don't like recently with the TSP, she keeps it simple. It is the lowest cost investment plan any of us have available to us in retirement. And TSP is fantastic. And I want her putting money from each paycheck that she receives serving our country into the TSP available to her in the Air Force. And again, express to her my thanks to her for her service to our great nation. Coming up ahead... How about some good news? The car market is right-sizing, and not like employers mean it, where right-sizing means you're laid off. No, this is actually good stuff I'm going to share with you. Okay, it's good stuff. Car market's been a mess from the start of COVID forward. Started getting better. Second half of 23, I was wrong. I thought it would be better in the first half of 23. And the trend is still you're my friend. The average purchase price of a new vehicle is going down. Used vehicles are in more availability now. They're still inflated in price, but not as bad as they were. The market is better. 
than it's been in a long time. If you drive down one of those suburban corridors where you see the dealers tend to congregate right by their competitors, and you'll see brand after brand in an area, what they call the auto mall concept, those lots were empty, empty for so long. And I was by one of those stretches recently, and I actually, because I'm so interested in this stuff, I actually pulled off the road because I was by a dealer that for the last many years had nothing on their lot, nothing. And then suddenly, there are all these vehicles. And so I pulled in, and I got out to see if they were putting used inventory where normally there would be new just so it didn't look so empty. They were new cars, one after another after another. It's like, wow, it was not 1999, way back in 1999. It was way back like 2019. And the time vehicles sit is rising on dealer lots. And do you know that there's such a surplus because the country turned hard and turned really anti-electric vehicle, like in a blink? And so the average electric vehicle selling today is cheaper than the average gas engine vehicle, even though before there was this huge price spread. I mean, the market has shifted. Two automakers still are short of inventory on their lots, specifically Toyota and Honda. Most models are still short of. But now so many vehicles are being sold below manufacturer-suggested retail price which is something that had been the way it worked historically. But in recent times, dealers were marking them way up and dealers even got bold. And you'd go to a dealer of luxury cars and they'd put right on the window next to the Monroney, that's the label they have to put on a car disclosing the manufacturer's suggested retail price for the car and options. And they'd put next to it, at a dealer markup, $10,000, $15,000, $20,000. Remember when the Corvettes, the dealers were marking them up $60,000? So that stuff, thank goodness, is going away. And the market is normalizing. There are even deals where manufacturers are offering special subsidized financing and definitely deals below MSRP. I was on Car Gurus yesterday preparing to talk about this, and I was looking on different models and looking at the prices, and it was showing MSRP and then what the dealer price was. It was showing again and again where dealers were disclosing, where they were offering meaningful discounts from MSRP. So the market is improving. Now, the bad part of it, for you trading in a used car, the used cars are not bringing the crazy inflated values that they were bringing for about a 30-month period. That's over. But used car prices, buying them, still inflated for you as a used car buyer. But again, not as bad, not as much as it was. So that's a definitely improving picture. How do you get the best deal? It's up to you. Get your financing arranged in advance at a credit union, not a bank. Credit union loans almost always are substantially cheaper 
one and a half to three points cheaper than a bank and a lot cheaper except from a dealer except with factory subsidized financing. So get pre-qualified at the credit union and you're good to go. There are some annexes to that uh, USAA Federal Savings Bank for USAA members could be offering a really good deal. And you want to shop the car price. Today, you can shop dealers as far as you're willing to go, what your pain point is. For a lot of people, that's 500 miles away. You buy a one-way airline ticket to go buy it at the dealer. You've already made a deal with in writing. New car is not used for that. And there are other ways to buy a car locally or far away as well. And we get a lot of questions about that. Yeah, I actually have one from John in Texas. He says, as a recent Costco member, we now have access to their car buying service. And I see you reference it on your website. My wife and I have access to multiple car buying programs, USAA, CarPro Radio Show, et cetera. None of these programs seems to be very transparent and they state you'll have a certain amount of percentage, which makes it extremely difficult to determine which one is most economical. The last time we bought a car in 2017, I simply told the dealer we have access to X, Y, and Z car buying programs. Which one will get me the best deal? Of course, I didn't get a good response. Can you provide additional insight on how to quantify the savings from various car buying programs? Yeah, and what you experience does, this is one thing we can't blame on COVID because the car buying programs morphed away from the consumer's advantage back about 2015 is when I noticed the clear trend away from them being the consumer's friend. The car buying services found the money was to be made making money from dealer referrals, not from giving the consumer the best deal. So most of the car buying services are lead generation services for dealers to bring in customers. And that's why the pricing is no longer transparent with most of the car buying programs in the marketplace. Costco is an exception. Costco car buying program is, as best I know, unique in the marketplace. Costco has a very large membership base, and it's much more affluent than the average income in the United States. So car dealers really want the Costco buyers. I asked a general sales manager at a dealership why they wanted the Costco buyers because they're giving them a lower markup. They're getting less money from it. And it was an interesting answer with just one person's perspective that car dealers have a lot of sales that fall through because the buyer doesn't qualify for financing. So they'll spend a lot of time negotiating a deal and all that, and then they can't get the paper sold. So they, all that time's wasted. And what he told me was that with the Costco buyers, because they tend to be people with higher income, better credit overall, that they know a deal's a deal and they're quick. So there's less employee labor and time spent selling those cars, even though the markup is lower. So the Costco program, I strongly recommend, uh, not as the only way you look for a car, But with the Costco program, they'll send you to the dealer they work with in the area closest to that store. And usually one brand 
per market, one brand location per market. And the price is not negotiable. They have to disclose the price to you. There'll be the Costco salesperson you deal with at the dealer. They're not a Costco employee, but they handle those. But that's still not the cheapest way to get a car. Cheapest way to buy a car is what I alluded to earlier, that you shop multiple dealers for the make, model, and version you want, and the colors you'll take in your local market, and expand your geographical reach. It is worth savings of thousands of dollars to shop for, I'm talking new here, outside of your local market and see what's available with the geographic reach you're willing to do. It may be 200 miles away, 100 miles away, 500, or maybe 1,000 miles is the furthest I really hear people do. That's how you save the money. Every dealership has internet salespeople that deal with people that are shopping around. Before you get on an airplane, though, to go take delivery, you want the deal done already. You electronically sign. You pay the deposit or whatever. Pay in full when you get there. Make sure the quotes have all the fees. Right. Drive what they call drive out price. You want all junk fees. You ask, does this price include all fees that I will have to pay? You say that in writing, not on the phone. Jack in New York says you recently spoke about car loans and the application of interest. I checked a loan I have on a company vehicle. The loan was taken out last March and additional payments have been made every month. I was told by customer service that additional payments would go to principal. I called today to question the balance on the loan and was told that I do not have to make another payment until August of 2025. Over $4,000 of principal payments had been simply applied to future payments. When I complained, I was told that they could go back only three months to apply the additional payments to principal. I then told them I was going to reach out to the New York State Department of Financial Services to complain. After being put on hold, I was asked to allow them 48 hours and all additional payments would be applied to principal. Thank you, Clark, for helping me to save more and pay less. Okay, Jack, thank you for sharing your story because this is important. When you are paying a car loan and you're paying additional principal, you're paying additional payments. In your case, you were paying a lot extra. What a lot of dishonest lenders do, and by the way, yours is one of the largest in the country that was playing dirty pool with you, is you need to check online to make sure if you're doing prepayments, that those prepayments are being applied as you want, is prepayment a principal, because what the lenders are trying to do is force you to pay all the interest you would have paid on the loan instead of giving you the credit immediately towards principal. And the greatest savings are if you're in what's known as a simple interest loan and you stood up for yourself, you went to the New York Department of Banking and Finance or Financial Services, whatever they call it, New York Financial Services, is the most pro-consumer banking department in the United States. That was a threat that was not idle. They knew it at the lender that was trying to cheat you and did the right thing. But if you check your loan electronically every month, you'll see if they're trying to cheat you at that lender or if that bank applied the money as they were supposed to. 
Mike in New Mexico says, I'm a huge fan and desperately need your help. An elk ran into my rental car oh, while I was driving. I declined the rental car company's insurance and elected to use my own full coverage insurance. My insurance company paid out the vehicle damages, less the $500 deductible. The rental car company is now calling me and asking for $1,815.18. They're claiming $270 for loss of use, $645 for diminished value, $400 for an admin fee, and lastly, the $500 deductible. I understand the $500 deductible. However, the other fees seem outrageous. I thought I was being scammed, but verified the amounts by calling the rental company using a separate number I found online and also by stopping in person to the rental car agency. They've been calling me once a day to collect the balance. I forwarded their company email to my insurance claims adjuster, but haven't heard back from them yet. This bill completely blindsided me and feels slimy. Since the rental agency representative calling me said the admin fee is negotiable. Since I had full coverage, should my insurance company be taking care of this? What can I do? Yeah, this is an ongoing tug of war between the insurance companies and the rental car agencies. And this has been around for a long time. The difference is that the insurance companies, ever since Hertz went bankrupt and then reformed itself, and now almost all rental cars are rented by three companies. There are many different brands, but they're all owned by three major players, Hertz, Avis, and Enterprise. And so they have become vicious with claims following an accident. So one thing I want to ask you to check, what credit card did you use when you rented the car? You may have supplemental rental car coverage that ties in with your auto insurance from your credit card. And then the credit card company becomes part of paying the money. Like they'll pick up your $500 deductible. But all the junk fees, what happens since you have full coverage with your auto insurer, you want to get that adjuster on the line. You want that adjuster dealing with the rental agency. And they will, from a position of strength, negotiate down those charges with the rental car agency. And you should not be out of pocket beyond your $500 deductible. But again, you have the double protection if the credit card you used is one that covers secondary coverage when you rent a car. And I'm hoping you do. That should certainly be a help with this. And I'm surprised that the collection person who's been hassling you didn't ask you that question because they're just looking for the deepest pocket that will pay money. One other thing with car rental agencies, Hertz, Avis and Enterprise now and all their affiliated brand names will put you, if you just ignore this, they will put you on a lifetime do not rent list with all of their brands. They'll take your reservation, you'll get there and they'll say, huh, you're not getting a car. And they use that as a way to hold you over a barrel and try to get you to pay the disputed bill right then and there, or no car for you. Know that they eat glass for breakfast, lunch, and dinner at the car rental companies, and they are playing for keeps. So what is an administrative fee? Well, it's a made-up fee 
for the supposed time they had involved dealing with a vehicle that had been in a wreck. Diminished value, they have no right to seek from you. They only have a right to seek that from your insurer since you have full coverage. And that is a negotiation between your insurer and the rental agency. Stay on this. Stay tough. Don't ignore it either. Thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate you trusting us to provide information that empowers you at Clark.com. The deals we provide that are clean, honest deals at ClarkDeals.com and that you tune in to either the audio or video version of our podcast. Or yet, our free newsletters here for you. So we are here to serve you whatever way we can, wherever we can, including social media, free one-on-one advice. The idea is to give you the knowledge, the confidence, and the power so you can save more, spend less, and avoid getting ripped off. Have a great rest of your day.